And we, uh, we know that freedom isn't free. And so once again, uh, we have to thank God that ultimately uh, our freedom uh, is not given to us or granted by uh, a government or some body of individuals, but it's ultimately given to us by Almighty God. But then those freedoms have to be defended. So thank the Lord for all that are serving and have served in our armed forces and that are out there defending our freedom from those that would like to take it away from us. And let's never ever take our, our freedom for granted. I hope you had a blessed uh, Fourth of July celebration. Uh, I know we did, the Tody family did. We spent uh, our time in Albuquerque with some family. My father-in-law owns a ranch. He's got about 90 acres, a few cattle ahead, uh, a few head of cattle on that ranch. And so uh, uh, yeah, we were out there and uh, you know, we had a cookout and uh, just had a, a grand old time. Uh, uh, my, my father-in-law, I don't know if you've ever had chicharrones, but uh, <laughs> chicharrones, and they, they put them in this, they, they cook this fat, you know, in this open fire, and uh, they are the worst thing in the world for you to eat. But boy, are they, uh, are they tasty. So that's kind of the, the, the tradition uh, on my wife's side of the family, and we had a great time, and we hope you did uh, also. And we must never forget, though, why we have a day to celebrate like, like that. All right, so we're in the book of Acts this week, next week, and then we're going to wrap it up. And then next year after Easter, we'll get right back in chapter 3. We are going to complete chapter 2. Uh, and uh, we've entitled this series 44 because it's the 44th book uh, in the Bible. And um, amazing, powerful things are happening in this book. And if you remember where we left off last week, we, uh, we talked about uh, what happened right after the Holy Spirit came. Peter, uh, a, 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 a crowd of people gathered around, thousands gathered around, and... Uh, People were amazed and perplexed at what it was happening because the Holy Spirit was being poured out. People were praying in other tongues. Uh, all these people from around the world heard everybody speaking in their own language, in their perfect dialect, the wonderful works of God. And many people were amazed and perplexed and taken back. But then there were others that were mocking. And that's where we left off uh, last week. And so we're going to pick up there here in just uh, a moment. But I want to talk to you today about a spiritual wellness plan that God wants all of us to be on. And the reason I want to I insert that is because a few weeks ago, I had a sports injury. And, uh, you know, it wasn't life-threatening or anything like that, but it was severe enough that I had to go see my doctor, my primary care doctor. And then, then from there, you know, I went to go see a chiropractor here in town. And it's been years since I've gone to see a chiropractor, right? So I go see this guy. He, he was a former athlete, and he sits me down after they go through, you know, the x-rays and all the consultation stuff. He's sitting me down, and he says this. He said, uh, now, when it comes to your well-being... There are two approaches. The first is called pain management. You've got pain, you come see me, I, I address the pain, you have no more pain, you don't come see me again until you have pain again. That's one way of approaching uh, wellness, a wellness plan. The second is actually having a wellness plan where you get well and you stay well by being a part of this wellness plan. And as he was telling me that, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about church life. I was thinking about me. I was thinking about Jesus. And, and there are two types of people that come to Christ. Number one, there are, there are, there are, at times we come to Christ because we want pain management. Life stops working. Something happens. We find ourselves in a storm. We find ourselves in a crisis. Uh, all of a sudden, the rug of life is pulled out from under us, and we find ourselves flat on our back, and so we come to church, or we come to Jesus because we're in pain, and we need help, and the Lord is gracious, and he helps us. But the problem with that is, if we're on that method of wellness, then we, once we get better, we leave church, or we just kind of like slack off on our faith because we no longer need the Lord until the next crisis arises in our life. 
It's better to be a part of an ongoing spiritual wellness plan that gets us well and keeps us well. And all the people said, all right? So that spiritual wellness plan, a part of that is, uh, includes prayer, you know, cultivating, developing a, a prayer life, consistent prayer life. Uh, we're going to have a time of prayer, you know, uh, coming up. Uh, scripture reading is part of a healthy spiritual wellness plan so that you can get better and stay better. Attending church regularly is a part of our spiritual wellness plan. We don't just come to church when we're in great need. We come consistently so we can stay out of uh, those crisis moments if, if all possible. Uh, serving in a certain area of ministry is a part of a healthy spiritual wellness plan. Uh, being a part of a life group is part of a healthy spiritual wellness plan. And we know there are no quick fixes, but over time, these things that we do will produce results in our life that will make our life better and we can experience a more blessed future. So, with that, I'm going to give you three points of a spiritual wellness plan from our study here in Acts 2, verses 14 through, uh, through uh, the verse 36. Uh, we'll get as far as we can this weekend and pick up next weekend. So go with me to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, and it says this. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Now stop there for a moment. Remember what just happened in verse 13. Many gathered to see what was going on outside of this upper room, and many were amazed and perplexed. And then many, in verse 13 it says, when they saw this, they began to mock. They began to say that these individuals were drunk. So here's how Peter responds. You have to love this. Peter is in the moment. Peter had no, no time to prepare for this. He didn't know what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost. He didn't know how it was going to play out. He didn't know what the reaction would be from literally the thousands of people that gathered outside of this upper room there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. But he was ready to seize the day, ready to seize the moment. It says in verse 14 that he stood up. He stood up. Now that's, that's important because do you remember what Peter's life was just three weeks, four weeks prior to this? Peter wasn't standing up. What was he doing? He was lying fat, flat on his back. You see, not, life had knocked him down. And what knocked him down was he denied the Lord on three separate occasions. And yet, we see a different man here. We see a man that's not cowering. We see a man that's not timid. We see a man that's not fearful. We see a man that is taking a stand and he's speaking out. And he's going to deliver the first official sermon post-resurrection, post-Pentecost. Peter has this honor of being the first to proclaim Jesus to the world. How awesome is that? But just a few weeks prior to that, he was denying that Jesus was even his friend in front of a 12-year-old little girl. What changed? What happened that he was able to stand up? Well, a couple of things. First of all, after the resurrection, Jesus made it, his, a, per, he made it a personal uh, assignment for him to go after Peter and find Peter and restore Peter. In my uh, daily reading through the Bible in a year, I happened to read this morning out of John's Gospel the story of Jesus restoring Peter. And when he found Peter with some of the other disciples fishing, Jesus asked him three questions. Peter, he said, do you love me? And Peter said, yeah, Lord, you, you, know, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then Jesus asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. 
And then he asked him one more time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's heart was broken. He said, God, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said, okay, feed my sheep. You see, Peter had denied the Lord three times, and three times Jesus was getting Peter to affirm his love for the Lord. He was restoring Peter. And what we're seeing here in Acts 2 is a restored man, a man who received forgiveness from the Lord and was able to forgive himself enough to say, you know what, the past the past. Today's a new day, and what I failed to do in the past, I'm not going to fail to do now. And he stood up. And it goes on to say, Peter standing up with the eleven, and I want you to see this verse again, put it back up on the screen. It says, with the eleven, it says, he raised his voice. Say that with me. Raised his voice. What did Peter do? Peter raised his voice. I want you to know something. I want you to know something. That good preachers raise their voices. Just need you to know that. Okay? Beware of a preacher who never raises his voice. And then beware of a preacher who always raises his voice. See, there's a sweet spot in between raising your voice and talking in a conversational style so that people could really lean in and grasp and hear what you're saying. But then there are times that the passion should be so, so much in your heart that you raise your voice. Okay? So I just want you to know, it's scriptural. Matter of fact, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he shouted at Lazarus. He said, Lazarus, come forth. You know why? Because in order to wake up a dead person, you need to yell a lot. So I would imagine in some churches, some preachers need to do a whole lot more yelling than other churches. Just because they got more spiritually dead people they're trying to wake up. So Peter raised his voice and he said to them, Man of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Now he's about to quote from Scripture. He didn't have the New Testament. It was, it was, it was being written. But he quoted from the Old Testament, the prophet Joel. He says, for, look at verse 15. For these are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day. He's saying, get real. You all, you, you all think that we're drunk it's only 9 in the morning. The third hour of the day for the Jewish time clock was 9 in the morning. He says, happy hour doesn't start till 5. If somebody's going to get drunk, then they shouldn't. But if somebody was going to, he's basically saying, if somebody's going to get drunk, that doesn't happen until around 5. So he, 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 now he goes on to verse 16, and he quotes from the prophet Joel. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, Joel made this prediction, this prophecy, 300, 400 years earlier prior to this moment. And so this is what Joel said. He's quoting directly from the Bible, from Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Whenever the Bible uses the term last days, it means this. From now on until Christ returns. From now, last days. Anytime you come across the, the phrase last days in the, in the New Testament, it means from this point forward until Jesus returns. So in God's calendar of, of prophetic events, the last days started right here on the day of Pentecost. So we have been living in the last days uh, from now on until Jesus returns. So once again, verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. But he say all flesh. Your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. <laughs> your young men are going to see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your, your nationality, God has promised through Joel that he was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, and I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. 
So here's the first point I want to share with you concerning God's spiritual wellness plan for your life, for your marriage, for your family, for your future, for your spiritual, emotional, physical, and financial well-being. Number one, God's wellness plan has to include hope. Hope. Hope in what? Hope in what Peter is talking about here on the day of Pentecost. Quoting from an Old Testament prophet who had long been dead at this, mo- at this time. But here's the reality. Peter, I, is, I believe, is saying to us, God keeps his promises. Look to your neighbor and tell him, God keeps his promises. Go and tell him that. God keeps his promises. Every promise God has ever made, he promised through Joel that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. Pentecost was the fulfillment of that. God keeps his word. What was promised was fulfilled. And we must constantly live with an expectation of God's promises being fulfilled in our own lives. That's what hope is. Let me give you a definition of hope. Hope is living with the continuous and constant expectation that God will come through for you. Do you live every day consistently and continuously with an expectation somehow, some way, at some point in time, God will come through for me. If you don't, you need to. If you don't, you've lost your hope, and you need to get your hope back in God, that God will come through for you. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to speak those words to them. God will come through for you. Tell them that. God will come through for you. The Bible says about Abraham, That against all hope, against all natural hope, in hope he believed. And he he saw the promise of God fulfilled in his life. In your life, in my life, against all natural hope, in hope, spiritual hope, godly hope, biblical hope, we must still hold on and believe. I believe much spiritual apathy and careless living is the result of not anticipating God making good on his promises. God will make good on his promises. And what did God promise? That he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. You know how scandalous that statement was when Joel said it? Because all flesh included not just Jewish flesh, but Gentile flesh. Peter was about to experience this in his own life because he still had some prejudice in his heart that God had to deal with and weed out of his life. So when you go to Acts chapter 10, God gives him this vision of this great sheep being let down from heaven filled with all kinds of unclean animals. And then God tells Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, I have never, ever eaten chicharrones before in my life. (laughs) Cow fat, pig fat, you know, I've never done that. It's unclean stuff. And God says, don't call unclean what I've made clean. And so God is preparing Peter to go to Cornelius' house, a Gentile, and when Peter goes to Cornelius' house and preaches the gospel of Jesus, Cornelius and his entire household get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were Gentiles. So all flesh uh, meant all flesh. And and something's going to happen. When this happens, see, in the Old Testament, God's Spirit was only poured out on certain flesh, kingly flesh, prophet flesh, priestly flesh, but not on common man flesh. Not on woman flesh, all right? But now God is saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, sons and daughters, young and old. And this was the fulfillment of that promise. So we must live every day with the hope of what God has spoken in his word. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You can, you can rest assured God keeps his promises because all the promises of God are not maybe and we'll see, 
But all the promises of God are what? According to Paul writing to the Corinthians, they're all what? Say it with me. Yes and amen. All right, number two, God's wellness plan for your spiritual, physical, emotional, financial, financial, relational well-being includes a spirit-filled life, a life that's truly marked by the Holy Spirit, where we could say in our own life, yes, the Holy Spirit's been poured out on my flesh. And how many of you would say, your flesh needs more of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Amen? Right? All of us, right? So what's the evidence of the Spirit upon your life? Well, in just these few verses, uh, Acts 1, 2, 1 through 14, 15, uh, the evidence, some of the evidence of the Holy Spirit, and there's more than one evidence that the Holy Spirit's been poured out upon your life, but some of the evidence of the Holy Spirit upon your life is prophecy, dreams, visions, and praying in other tongues. These are some of the evidence that the Holy Spirit's been poured out upon your life and my life. Take, for the example, the gift prophecy. What is, let's unpack that, that gift for just a moment. Uh, the gift of prophecy. One evidence that the Holy Spirit's a part of your life is that you will prophesy. That's what it says there. They will prophesy. Now, what is prophecy? Prophecy is a divine utterance in a known language. Prophecy is a divine, supernatural utterance in your known language, your primary language. It differs from tongues because the gift of tongues is also a divine utterance, but it's a divine utterance in an unknown language. And what you have to understand about prophecy is that prophecy is more foretelling than it is foretelling. The New Testament definition of prophecy has very little to do with foretelling or predicting future events. Prophets do that. Prophets can do that. But not, not all prophets prophesy, but not all who prophesy are prophets because the New Testament definition of the gift of prophecy, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and further expounds upon in chapter 14, it is, it is more foretelling than it is foretelling. Look at 1 Corinthians 14.3. It says this. But, who, but he who prophesies speaks what? Say it with me. Edification and exhortation and comfort to men. You know, many of you have the gift of prophecy, but you haven't called it that. Because anytime you speak to another brother or sister in Christ or to another individual, and, you, and words come out of your mouth that you did not plan to say, and you're like, whoa, that was pretty awesome. Where'd that come from? I wish I had a recorder, right? It came from the Holy Spirit. It was a divine inspired words that came from the Holy Spirit. And, and how do you know it was prophecy? Because it either brings edification or exhortation or comfort. Anytime you speak words of edification, exhortation, or comfort to another human being, you're basically operating under the New Testament's definition of prophecy. Look to your neighbor and say, I have prophesied before. Come on, tell them I've prophesied before. So it's not some weird thing, you know, where you get in the lotus position and close your eyes and, and hum. Wait, I'm getting a message. Here it is. No. Okay? Remove the weirdness from it. There's nothing that God does that is weird. Unusual at times, but not weird, okay? So prophecy is a gift. And look at what the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, the next day we went out to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He was a deacon and an evangelist. You can have more than one calling in life. And verse 9 says, he had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of, say it with me, prophecy. 
I mean, how cool is that? I mean, sometimes, you know, parents, you know, we're so proud to introduce our kids. This is my kid, you know, and, and he, he won T-ball or, you know, this is my kid and they won some academic achievement. And that's all great. This is my kid. They're this. This is my kid. They're that. But we need to get to a place where we introduce our kids. This is my daughter. She prophesies. This is my son. He also prophesies. People look at you like, what in the world? That's in the Bible. Hello. Your sons and your daughters shall what? Play Xbox? No. Your sons and your daughters shall what? Say it with me one more time. Prophesy, which means to speak with edification, exhortation, and comfort unto others. Many times preaching has an element of prophecy uh, behind it. The third thing that we need in this spiritual wellness plan, it includes counting the days. Counting the days. What does that mean? Hey, how many of you guys remember uh, before you got married, after you got engaged, how many of you remember counting the days to your wedding ceremony? Raise your hand. Am I the only one? Or are you all not married? What's up? <laughs> how many of you are engaged right now and you're getting ready to get married? Raise your hand. You're counting the days. Okay, a couple, a few of you. Good, good, good. How many of you need to get married? Okay, call the church. We'll get this thing taken care of. Okay. Um, I remember... When I got engaged to my wife, Glory, it was uh, like February 4th of 1988, a long time ago, right? We're getting ready to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. And so I remember I proposed to her. She said yes. And I said, okay, now let's talk about wedding date. She's like, oh, I need like a year. I said, no, girl, you're not getting no year. <laughs> I said, how about three months? She's like, three months? You can't plan a wedding three months. I said, okay. Then we settled, we negotiated, settled for six months. I said, you got six months. And so, you know, plan as, as great a wedding as you can in six months. We are not going beyond six months. I counted the days. I remember prior to our wedding day, uh, which was in August, August 12th, uh, that the July of that year of 1989, July of that year, I had the privilege of going on a missions trip to Nigeria, Africa. It was my first a missions trip in my entire life. I was a, a leader in the church at that time. I wasn't on staff, wasn't a pastor, was a pastor in training. And I had the privilege of going with my pastor and another team of individuals on this trip to Nigeria, Africa. And I remember that we were, one of the, the church members was our driver, okay? And he was a, I thought I was a bad driver sometimes. I mean, I thought I'd go fast sometimes. I'm not saying that you should, but I'm just saying sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? And I was in the car in the back seat, and this guy was going like 90 miles an hour down the road. And I was freaking out. Okay, and I, I, was, I, was, I was scared, to be totally honest with you. I lost my man card momentarily, okay, because I was like holding on, and they didn't have seatbelts. And I said, okay, I've had enough. I said, hey, slow down. I'm like, what? What's, what's wrong? I said, slow down. I'm getting married in two months, and I don't want to be dead, okay? I mean, I, I got to get this thing done. So <laughs> then I remember when we had our first kid. Uh, when you have your children, you know, you count the days, to the due date. You, you begin to count the days to when your child is born. And now all these years later, I'm counting the days when then they will leave the house. It's, you know, it's funny how things change. <laughs> but get this, we're to count the days until Jesus comes. And just like God promised that the Holy Spirit would come and he came, the promises in the Bible that talk about the return of Jesus, they're going to happen. It's going to happen. Look at what uh, Peter goes on to say. Once again, still quoting from the prophet Joel, the Old Testament prophet Joel, verse 19. And I will show you wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood 
before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Boy, Peter's preaching. And Peter's he's pulling out all the stops, right? He went from talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to the end of the world. Now, here's what you need to know. Between verse 18 and 19, here in Acts 2, between verses 18 and 19, there's been at least 2,000-year gap between what Joel prophesied. His prophecies in two parts. Part one, the outpouring of Pentecost and the beginning of the church age, which looking back, historically, we see has lasted now for 2,000 years. But when Joel, and Peter begins to quote from the prophet Joel about uh, wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapors of smoke, the, 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 the sun darkening and the, and the moon turning to blood, he's talking about an entirely different event, which is the fulfillment of what's written in the book of Revelation. And it's called this in the Bible. It's called the day of the Lord. You know, there are certain days that are more important than other days. Not every day is the same. You don't need to treat every day the same. Every day is a gift. Every day is important. But not every day is the same. The day of your birth is a significant day. The day of your rebirth, when you're born again, is a significant day. Because if you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll only die once. So the day of your birth, the day of your rebirth, and the day of your death, these are all significant days that are more significant than any other day. And you can also throw in there the day of your wedding and the day of your children. In the Bible, there are two days that are very important. One is called the day of the Lord. It's mentioned dozens of times throughout the Bible. There's another day that's mentioned. These are the two days you need to, there's really three days that you need to be familiar with in Scripture. Let's talk about the, the two most important, and then we'll talk about the third, which is also important. The day of the Lord, and then there's another day that's mentioned called the day of Christ, or the day of Jesus Christ. These are not, the, they're not one and the same. Please understand, they are not one and the same. The day of the Lord, which I mentioned, is mentioned dozens of times, and in your notes online, or the notes that you can pick up at the, at the guest connection, we give scripture references to the day of the Lord. Whenever the Bible uses the phrase, the day of the Lord, it's speaking of the day of God's wrath, the day of God's judgment, the day when God makes all things and sets all things right. It's the day when God brings judgment on his enemies. And it is a terrifying day. Part of my finishing out my calendar year of reading through the Bible in a year, I'm in the book of Revelation. I just finished the book of Revelation. And it's, it's a frightening book because in the midst of God pouring out his wrath and judgment upon this earth, men are still defiant against God. They still shake their fist at God. They still deny God his rightful place in their in their lives and in this world that he created. And even though hailstones weighing 100 pounds are being rained down from heaven upon ungodly and wicked men and women, they still will not repent of their sins, the Bible says. This is the day of the Lord. But this is not the day that you have been appointed to. There's another day the Bible talks about. It's called the day of Christ or the day of Jesus Christ. It's an entirely different day than the day of God's wrath and the day of God's judgment. For those who have placed faith and trust in Jesus, you will be spared from the day of the Lord because you have not been appointed. We have not been appointed under wrath. As Jesus hung upon that cross, he became your substitute and my substitute. And Paul said in Galatians, curses everyone that hangs upon a tree. And Jesus became a curse that he might redeem you and me from the curse of the law. 
And he has freed us because he took our place for us. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So the day that we look forward to, and we're counting the days to the day of Jesus or the day of Jesus Christ. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 1.8, 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, 2 Corinthians 1.14, Philippians uh, 1.10, Philippians 2.16. But I want to share one of those verses that refers to the day of Jesus Christ. It's in Philippians 1.6. Let's read this out loud together. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Not the day of the Lord, but the day of Jesus Christ. You, your life, my life, has been appointed and reserved for this day. The day of Jesus Christ, whenever it's mentioned in the New Testament, and it's only mentioned in the New Testament, this day is a day marked with rejoicing. This day is a day marked with blessing. This day is a day marked with celebration when Jesus comes for his church, for his people, and takes us. Because he promised in John 14, John's Gospel 14, that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then when it's ready, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. And I'm going to receive you into myself. That where I am, there you will also be. Jesus will keep his promise. Your life is reserved for that day. So two days very important in the Bible, the day of the Lord and the day of Jesus Christ. And the third day that's mentioned in the Bible that's very important is today. For the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And if you have not yet surrendered your life to Christ, today can be that day when you will be delivered from the day of wrath, the day of the Lord, and you will now begin to look forward to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you should never underestimate the power of a single day and the difference a single day can make in someone's life. Sometimes we, we live and we waste the days that God has allotted to all of us, and all of us are allotted only a, a, a certain amount of days. We don't know how many. Scripture promises Three score in 10 or 70 years is what God has promised, but many times a life can be cut short, as my friend, Dwayne Uliberry, who a week ago this past Friday was in San Diego, California at a Christian basketball camp for his Christian school there in Albuquerque, and at the uh, young age of 51, died of a massive heart attack. He was dead before he hit the ground. He died in front of his wife. Tragic. Left, leaves behind a, a lovely wife and 13-year-old son Drew and a 12-year-old son Garrett. And this Tuesday in Albuquerque at Calvary Chapel, I have the distinct honor and privilege of performing services for my good friend, Dwayne. He only had so many days. Here's what I know about Dwayne. He lived every day to its fullest for the glory of Jesus Christ. Some can do more with a life cut short at 51 than others can do with a life living to 100. It's not the duration of your life. It's the donation of your life. It's understanding that you take every day that God's given you and you live it to its fullest. Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow. There's enough evil that's going to be in tomorrow that you don't, need, you don't need to add to it today by worrying about it. Don't look behind of yesterdays and yesteryears because yesterday is gone. You'll never get it back. You could never alter it. You could never change it. You could never undo it. It's done. It's gone. Learn the lesson that you must learn to have a better tomorrow, but then let it go. And quit worrying about the future. Today is a day of God's blessing. This is the day that the Lord has made. And the Lord wants us to count the days to the return of Christ. 
so that we live each and every day of our life not wasting it, but investing it and living life to its fullest. Loving God, loving our family, loving others, and, in, and receiving God's goodness and his provision and blessing that he has guaranteed us in each and every day of our life. What day can you look forward to? I hope it's the day of Jesus Christ and the day of Christ. And you can if this day you will make that choice and that decision that no one else can make for you, that you will lay it all on the line for Christ, that you will give your life 100% completely and totally to him, and you, receive, you will receive from him the gift of eternal life and the blessing of God's forgiveness in your life. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that everyone in here, Lord, would, uh, would begin this spiritual wellness plan, God, that includes hope and includes living a spirit-filled life and, and it includes counting the days to the return of Christ so that we could live each day with hope in our future. Heads bowed and eyes closed if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, your personal Lord and Savior. You can open up your heart. You can receive the gift of eternal life and forgiveness. Simply pray this prayer out loud. Say it with the rest of us. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. Dear God in heaven, you're now my Father, and I am your child. Fill me now with the blessed Holy Spirit. Give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family? We love you. Have an awesome day.